Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This is part one in a four-part series on politics and comedy. I've been speaking to the people who write jokes about politicians and for them and asking whether there's a serious point to being funny about the people who run the country. In later episodes, we'll hear from comedians Al Murray, Andy Zaltzman, Tiff Stevenson and the Times' own Hugo Rifkin, plus Daniel Finkelstein, James McGrory and Aisha Hazarika on the pitfalls of politicians who try to make us laugh. In this episode, I talk to comedian and impressionist Rory Bremner, who gives voice to Donald Trump, David Cameron, Boris Johnson and William Hague, while discussing the politicians too dull to mimic, the difference between satire and topical comedy, and what Julian Clary and John Major have in common. But first, I began by asking him how he came to do what he does. Whatever it is you do, how did you start? Um, well, uh, it was Edinburgh. Well, I did reviews and things when I was at university. We did sort of like you know, student shows, sketchy shows. And I uh, did my first Edinburgh Festival in 81, uh, of all, <laughs> a long, long time ago. That time was, life was like they had a Conservative Party. It was, you know, woman prime minister divided on Europe. I mean, it's so different <laughs> from, from nowadays, completely different. And um, by 83, I was doing um, sort of stand-up on my own. I started uh, my first Edinburgh Festival. Well, the stand-up was 84 with Mark Steele, who's still going strong, and Jenny A. Clare. It was, I think it's partly because I, I, I was born in Edinburgh and brought up in Edinburgh, so I was kind of always inspired by the Fringe and what was going on there. And it was an incredible time, if you think. That was when uh, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie and Rick Mayle and Adrian Edmondson and Clive Anderson and Rory McGrath and all these people um, and more were kind of just starting out. So it was a kind of an inspiring time, and I lived in Edinburgh anyway. And Voices was my way into that world, um, and and so that's how I started out and then so for years I did sort of sports commentators and, and uh, but I'd always had an interest in politics and when I worked with John Wells uh, in the sort of later 80s that sort of developed more and working with John Bird and John Fortune it became more political but that's why, where I wanted to go and they kind of mentored me so you know we, we the show became progressively more political and I think partly because television was fragmenting into so many different audiences there was no guarantee that somebody who knew I don't know people who did gardening programs knew who the sports characters were but yeah. there was one thing we had in common which was current affairs and, and news so I kind of focused on that and, and it became a sort of a fascination to the point of, of obsession but it all began really at university in, and, and, and Edinburgh, in Edinburgh So how do you go about the mechanics of learning a voice? 
Wow. Oh, gosh. That, well, I mean, I listen to it on the radio as much as I can until it, it's got to go into your head. You've got to be able to hear it in your head when the person isn't there. I mean, what you're doing as an impressionist, I think a lot of it is instinctive. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, you can't really teach people to do it. I think actors, they can be taught dialects and things, but that's your sort of self-selecting as an actor anyway. I think you've got a propensity to you, they very often have a musical ear. I mean, most actors, I think, can sing. And if you can sing, you, you can do voices because you, you recognise that sound. So you've got to hear it clearly. So you might play a tape again and again and again or just allow yourself to absorb a sound um, the visuals that's that's instinctive because what you're doing in some ways as an impressionist is you're playing a, um, a, a film in your head and you're providing the soundtrack if you like so for example doing Boris and I I cannot you you cannot help but to 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 physicalize to to do the appropriate spooking of the of the hair and the gestures or if it was Cameron I know you know he has that open uh, open fingered sort of hand gesture and I think that that becomes part of it you can't help but to do the body language um, when you're doing the voice you've got to be able to recognize that voice and remarkably only a week ago I heard somebody being interviewed on the radio Oh, the Today programme, it was about the 10 past 8 interview. And I thought, oh, who's this? I'm, I don't know who this is. Who's it? And it was about three or four minutes in that I realised it was Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> and, well, that was interesting in its way because I thought I really, his, I hadn't, you know, it, it, I hadn't really registered the voice. And you need the public to register it as well. So that's why people like William Hague, for his so many years, was such a great uh, gift to impress it because he, uh, he was so recognised and for an impressionist you need to have a certain key like if you're putting plaster on a wall you need you need to have you need to have a certain key you need to have a way in you need to have some characteristics but then of course your job is in a way that a caricaturist does you exaggerate certain features and you extend and often you start out uh, as an impression being very close to the original and then as you start to play with it more as it becomes more familiar then you can actually start to be that character I mean John Major, for example, when he first started, for years and years, um, we used to always say, we, people had a sort of play, a, a train spotting voice. So, oh, yes, I know the times of all the trains. Oh, look, there's a 727, <laughs> and it leaves Dorking, and it stops at every station on that, and that was our train spotter. And then all of a sudden, this man emerged, and my God, he had the train spotter voice, if I may say. I don't mean in the Ewan McGregor sense, obviously. <laughs> but no, it was that. But it was a combination of that. It was a combination of the train spotter voice with a little bit of Julian Clary. <laughs> so Julian Clary sort of sort of softened it. And if you get the softening of Julian Clary with the with the train spotter, you get that, if I may say so, Matt. Uh, so that was the way in. Um, so sometimes impressions are a combination of two different ones, like um, like Ken Clark. Yeah, he he got that sort of um, dyspeptic, um, slight sort of indigestion, which was Alan Corrin. For years, he did the news quiz um, and had that kind of and Portillo's a little bit like that. So you notice, just as a pianist will notice, if you're a jazz pianist, you'll hit a certain chord and think, "Oh, that reminds me of so and so." So you can often combine them. But you know, if you take, as I say, the Train Spotter and Julian Clary equals John Major uh, or um, Alan Corrin taken up a volume to get to Ed, Ed Miliband. I can never get Ed Miliband. I made Ed Miliband sounded like Tony Blair with a cold. It was just like, but but then I realised he's got that um, Chris Tarrant and noise. He okay. So what we're going to do is could it be A? Could it be? Have you think about kind of quality? 
and then you just have the, uh, I, I just think as a label leader, I just think people want to recognise, and, and the, letter, the letter L, I worked sometimes with a voice coach now, now and it's the letter L, he said, Labour, Labour leaders, it's, I, I, just want to be, I, I don't want to lose elections, so you're just putting different things into the mix. Another way of doing it is, you, is certain vowel sounds. When Malcolm Rifkin started out, of course, it was the letter O. And, and um, I don't, don't suppose um, you, we actually wrote a script, which was, you know, that thing about Moses supposes his toes are roses. <laughs> so I wrote, actually wrote a sketch, a script where Malcolm Rifkin talking about Saddam Hussein was, well, that presupposes he knows we oppose his proposals. <laughs> and that was part, uh, sort of <laughs> part comment, as you like. But most it was just a, a, a voice exercise joke. and presumably for the viewers the voice is only half the thing it's also got to be funny it is absolutely it's got to, yes absolutely it's got to be funny well that's the thing um, and ideally when the two come together I mean well there's, there's three things I often think there's a true line in a sense that here's a line of something which you believe is, is, is true and I think satire should do that it should release a truth and so you get that response in an audience of, of they're laughing on two levels they're laughing because it's funny but also there is that recognition that you sometimes you distilled something I mean an example would be David Cameron saying look I, when I started out Matt, I mean, you know, when I when I first became Prime Minister two people say look are you, are you going to make the rich richer are you going to make the poor poorer I think we managed to do both <laughs> so that kind of works it works on a character level and it works on a satirical level and it works on a fun level and that's so ideally what you're hoping to do not with Donald Trump now you know I gotta say Donald Trump you know he couldn't make it up but he does all the time by the way just like but um, I'm trying to think with him the thing is maybe to use his vanity against him so if he now starts to boast about his failures you know let me tell you now Matt I am I have now got the lowest approval ratings of any president <laughs> I started on 47 it's now down to 40% that was below Obama below Clinton we had the fastest resignation 24 days Mike Flynn great guy by the way and I'm now the most expensive president in history it's got to be great going to be wonderful so you're you know you've got the voice you start with that but then you've got to put the material on it and I think if you want to do the satire stuff you do have to put a little content in there and otherwise it's just graffiti otherwise it's just saying you know politicians are a bunch of idiots I mean I do say now in the outlet you know, part of the job is to make politicians look more ridiculous than they are and have you any idea how hard that is <laughs> these days but like Matt Ford actually I'm I am still you know I'm a fan of politicians I think you know these they, they are valued and we see albeit in the most tragic circumstances if you see um, you know we all remember Joe Cox and then just uh, you know a week or two go Tobias Elwood and you think you know there are many decent honorable politicians and as somebody once said uh, during the financial crisis that 99% of bankers give the other 1% a bad name <laughs> in a sense it's like that with politicians that, that people say oh they're all in it for themselves and they all and I think that's really corrosive I remember Tony Benn who was he was quite a fan of Bremen and Burden Fortune but I was, sometimes we used to go to Tony Benn and, and I would um, say we just have a little conversation about what was going on he said well, I think you should do a sketch about William Hague I think you should do a wonderful sketch about this and he said, well, you should, you should, the only thing is, he said, if you undermine people's belief in their politicians or their member of parliament, or if you, if you, if people lose confidence, if people lose trust in their member of parliament, then where does it get you? And the point, it's really, it's a, a, an absolutely 
important point because, you know, if you do give up on politicians, then you get a situation where you think, well, let's get the private sector in to run everything. And in fact, let's do away with parties. Why don't we just get a businessman in to run the country? <laughs> and Matt, wouldn't that be great? I think that would be wonderful. And what they've done, they've done in America is essentially if in Britain we decided that we we're going to do away with politicians and just choose Philip Green to run the country. But politicians, and the reason that Trump is already unraveling is because he's not a politician. They elected him because he wasn't a politician, but politicians, they they're the ones who have to they have to make the compromises they have to learn that they've got to bring two sides together and I'd argue that actually Theresa May hasn't really been successfully doing that uh, particularly uh, over Brexit where it was 52-48 and in a sense you know the, the difficulty was to say okay we accept what that vote is but we have a divided country and somehow or other we we've, I have got to lead a, a compromise in which both parties can get as, as much as they as they can from this situation. It feels sometimes like because she was on the Remain side officially, <laughs> she's overcompensating to persuade yeah. the, the leavers that she is with them now well, she and has, hasn't taken the Remainers with her. She has this habit. Um, there's a recent book, I think, was it Rosa Prince, uh, who wrote, uh, she's written a, a biography recently and I, I read a review by David Runciman, who's a, a, a hero of mine, um, about Theresa May taking a brief from somebody else and then carrying it out to the letter, you know, absolutely, incredibly diligently in the face of all opposition and all, sometimes in the face of all logic. And that's why she has no truck or no time for Gove or Cameron, who she sees as being sort of lightweight because they come out, they toss out an idea and then they change their minds on it. And Theresa May, it was like, I think, uh, when Cameron came in and said, I think we should, should reduce immigration to the tens of thousands. And Theresa May took that literally and she was busy in the Home Office slashing uh, student visas for Indians. Uh, I think she slashed 10,000 a year for five years, so 50,000 fewer student visas because she was absolutely bent on fulfilling this brief of getting immigration down because that was what she'd been told to do. And I think there's a certain inflexibility about her. And, you know, it's. I, I think she has thought, right, okay, that's the message, we're leaving, and I'm, you know, and we're going to make it work. I can't do Theresa May. Well, I was you going to, to say, get, you need I was to get Jan Ray. I was going to ask you, do you ever do women? No, well, I did, ha, I've done it in the past, I did, um, I've done Anne Widdicombe, <laughs> much more uh, that sounded much more like Margaret Rutherford and I did Esther Ranson um, in the past when it was just um, it was just more about her her sort of signposting everything and, and uh, um, manipulating the audience um, and she actually she herself used to tease me about how bad it was but um, no I, I'm on tour at the moment doing this uh, tour called Partly Political and in it I have Jan Ravens as a guest Okay. and uh, she comes on she does the most fabulous Theresa May she does a wonderful Theresa May she does a fantastic Fantastic Hillary Clinton. She does a great Diane Abbott. Her Diane Abbott is incredible. Oh, it's wonderful. It's yeah. really great. If anyone hasn't heard, just look it up because there's a, on YouTube. She does, but don't look up. You have to spell Theresa May right. That's very important. Yeah, don't Google it without the H. I did do I, that. I had to introduce her once. I was doing a, uh, a debate uh, with uh, her. Chris Hewn was in it. Do you remember Chris Hewn? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he do all that stuff. Yes. Uh, and he, yes, he was the one. He was arrested for speeding. He said it was his wife who did it, and they got divorced. And uh, she, she's having nothing to do with him now. And she's got a point. 
Well, she's got, she's got three points, actually. <laughs> but anyway, um, so he was there and uh, Theresa May. So I did my research. I was hosting the debate. And so I looked up Theresa May. And sure enough, it said nude model and soft porn actress because I spelt it wrong. And so I thought, I'll just, I'll just use that. I'll introduce her. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I, think, I don't think she was very happy about that. But anyway. Her renowned sense of humor didn't kick in. <laughs> no. do, how do politicians react to it? Do they like... I don't know. Being I don't, impersonated or not? It's, it's difficult because you need to get sort of close enough to them sometimes and you're sometimes you're drawn into the same circle. Um, but you try to keep an objectivity about it. I mean, John Fortune once said to me, he said, well, never, nobody ever criticised David Attenborough for getting too close to the animals. So it is possible <laughs> to study them at close quarters. Um, I mean, there's, I remember Tony Benn, I mentioned him before, and he said, should I be doing me in the show this week? And I said, yes, 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 we are. He said, well, that's good. He said, because if you're not doing me I feel in some way I don't matter <laughs> and I thought that was quite sweet yeah. and then she said but don't be too hard this week he said because I'm going to I'm off to see Saddam Hussein uh, this week this is 2003 he said I'm going to see Saddam Hussein he said I've got to speak I've got to see him on Saturday or Sunday because I'm going to be in Leeds on Tuesday <laughs> <laughs> So I love, see, I love the characters. Yeah. And this is something that Bird and Fortune also share in common. I love Fortune in particular. I just love the characters. And this is why, for a while, the coalition, this is interesting, because, I mean, we had the Great Beasts and Spitting Image did a lot in the 80s to kind of give a character to Thatcher's cabinet. Because in some ways, they were quite unpromising. You know, Ken Baker and, and Leon Britton and um, Norman Fowler and people like that. But, you know, they, and Douglas Hurd, Prime Minister! <laughs> you know, all that. So Spitting Image gave them characters. And Labour came in in 97, quite fully formed. We knew who they were. Um, we knew that, uh, we knew that John Prescott, little, I was to play him a little bit like Les Dawson, but you know, so we had him. <laughs> there's a, there's uh, very little difference. We had, we had David Blunkett, don't pat the dog, he'll have your fucking head off. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, um, um, we, we had Tony Blair, obviously. Uh, I, I just think he's warm. And, and, and Gordon Brown. So, so, so people knew who they were. And then the coalition came in and rather like Kitty Muggeridge said of David Frost they rose without trace so when the coalition arrived you had these people like Chris Grayling and Jeremy Hunt and Philip Hammond and he thought, whoa, what That are sounds you like a list to... of people you've got oh. on a list that you would never, ever attempt. Well, we thought John Major was great, but they, they made John Major look like Camilla Batmangelis. You know? <laughs> I mean, so suddenly, so the coalition was, it coincided with the ending of the series that we did on Channel 4. That stopped in 2010. But it meant... That, and I'm sad about this it meant that the whole of the coalition went by without us being able to do a programme about it until the very end and we did a programme I think in April and the coalition finished in May now was that a coincidence Matt? <laughs> yes it was it was a complete coincidence <laughs> but Cameron was there and I think he was dual and, and, and Boris and of course we saw the rise ultimately of, um, of Farage so now the characters are back and now politics is back I would argue actually yeah. as well because I think there was a time from the from about the mid '90s, really, when economics was the only game in town, uh, and and politics was entirely subservient to economics, and you can see an illustration of this by uh, look at the political editors that are on now. So uh, in, on Sky, their political editor is Faisal Islam, who was Channel 4's economics editor. ITV, you've got Robert Peston, who yeah. was the BBC's business editor. Newsnight is now presented by Evan Davis, who was the BBC's economics editor. Yeah. So economics was the big thing and then I think in the last three or four years and this has been the big shift that politics has come back and it came back with a Scottish referendum in 2014 yeah. came back with Corbyn uh, it's come back obviously with Brexit so 
politics is back and coincidentally luckily enough for me some of the big characters are back who who do you love doing <laughs> who's your favorite i gotta say i love trump but i i don't i hate trump but i well uh, i i i know the voice because people relate to it straight away and always i kind of open a show and say we got so many people here today you know we look around this dinner we got to have seventy thousand people in this <laughs> and you're looking out to theater about 600 people tom lehrer said years ago he said that satire became obsolete when they gave the nobel peace prize to henry kissinger and what is interesting now is we've moved so far on from that we just had tony blair as middle east peace envoy yeah a job he gave up last year well yeah mission accomplished uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's ever been more peaceful in the middle east um so we've had that we've got trump as president uh, we've got boris as the foreign secretary and you can't you couldn't you can't make it up well Trump makes it up all the time, as we know. And, and you know, you have these ludicrous situations, like as soon as Nicola Sturgeon calls for the second Scottish referendum, then it gives the Tories a problem, because who are they going to send up to Scotland? Because when they sent Cameron Osborne, it was like Edward I and Will Carling <laughs> being sent up. The, the idea of, of they would sent Boris. I see, I say, I say to, to Nicola Sturgeon, I say, I say this, I say the idea that you would, you would willingly break away from a, from a, from a political union with your closest neighbour and, and your biggest export market. It is, it is, it is, it is, oh, hang on. Um, <laughs> oh, look, a puffin. <laughs> so there is so much that is going... I mean, in the last couple of months, what we've learned that uh, Richard Whiteley was a spy, that George Galloway is writing children's books, that Paul Nuttall is is running UKIP. <laughs> um, I mean, so it's interesting. Politi- comedians will say now, well, people come up to you as a comedian now and they say, um, God, you've got so much material. But usually when that happens, it means that the material is being written for you yeah. already by, by the politicians. Comedians will tell you that, in a way, that presents its own problem because you've got to find a fresh angle. You know, if if it, all, if it is all very serious uh, and non-farcical, then of course you 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 find ways of making it uh, farcical. Um, but if it is farcical already, <laughs> what you're can you just do with kind it? of yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just sort of framing a picture that they've painted already, and and it's it's less original. But on tour at the moment is you are aware of the ground moving under your feet. But I do feel, I mean, I, I often start off, off that the, these are the three big things that is in everyone's mind at the moment. I, I, I say it's like I was given for Christmas by a friend who doesn't like me very much. I was given three box sets. And one's called Brexit and one's called Trump and one's called Corbyn. And I don't want to watch them. I don't want to sit through them. I just want to know how they end. <laughs> Um, because clearly, you know, and we do feel, look, looking at Trump now, it's like watching a really bad mistaken identity film. And you think this is bound to, you know, when is this going to? Um, and I, I keep rewinding it backwards. So, so I get to a happy ending. <laughs> and apparently Melania, his wife, says she wants to be the next Jackie Kennedy. So she's obviously thinking the same thing. <laughs> Too soon. What about the Europeans? Because over the next couple of years in our relationship with Brussels. Could you find yourself doing Donald Tusk and Well Jean again Paul you see Juncker? people would need to know what Who they, they sound like yeah. unless they don't unless you make them sound as the all purpose, you know, European <laughs> bureaucrat enemy, which it kind of would go counter to my politics. I mean that's that, that brings in the interesting thing about I think in a way if satire is to be meaningful. I mean I, I would argue that actually the closest we got to satire was those wonderful pieces that Bird and Fortune did. Mm. Um, because they really they had the time and they had had the space to really delve into an issue 
and, and they used all the weapons at at the disposal. And your politics, yes, then come that's right. Into yes, it. exactly. What I was going to say was, in a sense, um, if you just if you have writers just writing a stream of jokes for you, yeah. then it is topical comedy. But I think you need to have a point of view. So, for example, because I have a, a, a sort of Remain mindset, um, you know, the idea of just doing a bunch of silly Europeans sounding like <laughs> Goering or Himmler would not be kind of. I wouldn't want to do. That's that. not making the points no. that you want to make. Yeah, exactly. Although, funnily enough, Jan Ravens does a really good Angela Merkel, and she does a really good Christine Lagarde. And she said said to the bosses at the BBC, she said, "Wouldn't it be great to have them, you know, sitting in a cabaret some one 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 evening, sort of just talking in a, in a jazz uh, club or something?" And the commissioner at the BBC said, "No, no, what's it? but but Eileen in Leeds wouldn't know who they were." What you're trying to do is to, although you make a caricature, you can't sort of put a caricature onto another caricature, yeah. if you like, because the biggest revelation that I had recently about Europe was Bird and Fortune went there about 20 years ago, maybe more, uh, to possibly do a program about Europe. And they found themselves in Strasbourg at the, on the famous day that the parliament was debating the harmonization of lawnmower noise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I think they must have just gone straight back on the train and thought, well, that, that's it. You know, how can we parody yeah. that a parliament debating lawnmower noise? And it was only about six weeks ago that I realised that uh, I, I read that that debate had been initiated by the British because the Germans had been using national legislation to stop British lawnmowers coming into the country. And so Britain says, well, we need to debate this in Parliament because we need to have, if we were to have a level playing field, and indeed if we were to have a moan playing field, <laughs> we need to standardise things across the community. And what's interesting about that is that something that you thought was just a complete waste of time and ridiculous and in a sense summed up the futility of the European Parliament, you then realise that actually it was the essence of the European Parliament, which is to say that if you're going to have the biggest, one of the biggest markets in the world, an open and free market, you need to have those regulations so that somebody who makes, I don't know, a coffee machine in Halifax or in Lisbon or in Milan, whatever, they operate to the same standards and they can sell everywhere in the community. So suddenly the very thing that you think was a caricature turns out to be actually something good. I think there's probably a lot of people are having the same revelation as the as we go through this process of negotiating our way back into a new relationship with you yeah. discovering that there was a point to a lot of it all these well absolutely well I'm, I go back to something that Bill Clinton said years ago about another election he said <coughs> the people the people have spoken it's just we don't know what they said <laughs> And I feel that's true about the referendum because, as we know, it's a binary thing that people said no for so many reasons. And in fact, the ultimate reason was say it was it was like, was like are you really pissed off? And people said yes, we are. And for some people, it was about immigration. For some people, it was about sovereignty. For some people, it was just it was just we're really fed up. I talk about this when in the in, in my show um, that in a way we've got improvised governments on both sides of the Atlantic making it up as they go along based on suggestions from the audience and Brexit wasn't so much a serious suggestion as a really angry heckle because they were saying we've had enough we're fed up with politicians and that's what I understand I totally understand that people were really angry and that people felt a lot of people they felt they were left behind by globalization a lot of people had lost their jobs because of it the politicians the liberal consensus the neoliberal consensus hadn't done any, hadn't mitigated globalization and so in a sense they left the door open and on the other hand you had the demagogues like Trump in America but Farage and UKIP and whatever that exploited that and, and turned it into you know blaming foreigners in general and, and, and Europe in particular so I understand the anger 
but the way I say it is that you know I feel that the public that the, 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 the barking up the right tree but at the wrong cat so you know they were right to be angry in, in, about the, the politics but in a sense to take it out on Europe which to me very much needed reform don't get me wrong really needed a lot of reform nevertheless there were so many things about cooperation between 28 countries that was you know a positive uh, and a good thing but Europe didn't help itself I had a conversation a brief conversation with David Davis which is really illuminating because this is just in the corridor at the BBC and I said look why didn't I mean Europe did not help itself why didn't somebody like Tusk come over I mean so why didn't Juncker make the argument and David says I know he said yeah a great name isn't it <laughs> <laughs> and I thought my god that is your mentality you are still thinking that Europe is about Junkers and Stukas and and it was extraordinary when Boris talks about the punishment beatings and things and I thought you know when you think that the, the, the greatest thing the funniest thing about Juncker is that he's got the same name as a bomber <laughs> Uh, and I, but I think that's that's still that's quite kind of illustrative of, of, of that mindset that I think I think there's still the you know, lurking behind is the is the fact that we're still going around as people were a couple of weeks ago singing two world wars and one world cup when Angela Merkel has moved on and is busy singing no no world wars and three world cups which is what Germany's <laughs> managed to do since 1950. When you're going around the country and you're doing your show, does the reaction to what you're doing? change the audience reaction because obviously different parts mm. one of the striking things about the Brexit result was the way that the result was so different in different parts of the country so the reaction to what you're doing well it's a, self, it's a self-selecting audience in you're, many ways you're so just going like hoovering up Ramona's <laughs> <laughs> well I thought that I thought there might be sort of a kind of a more liberal audience but the first show I did was in Cheltenham the first thing I said okay right who's feeling really happy at the moment expecting as it was quite soon after the vote and, and uh, Brexit was near I expected the audience to go oh and, and right and who's, who's really confused and miserable and for them all to so anyway I came out and said right who's who's feeling really happy and they all went way and I suddenly realized that in Cheltenham of all places it was quite a leave audience yeah and my guest that night was Alistair Campbell who actually managed to pick a fight with two pensioners in the front row <laughs> which was hilarious because they said you know we, we left because we're patriots and we don't like being controlled by Brussels which was a red rag to Alistair Campbell's ball and so off he went and then that happened around the country elsewhere I had uh, Anna Subri was my guest in Chesterfield people said you know that we were by uh, and all that. and it's this thing that we, people have got now that if you express a point of view that, in, that you're biased uh, and I, th I said no it's not it's just a point of view it's not I'm not I'm not the news but even the news interestingly is so haunted by this thing of bias that I now think that if Hugh Edwards had Ellen McCarthy you know the round the world yachts woman this is a okay thank you so uh, Ellen McCarthy there who has uh, uh, completed her round the world voyage uh, I say round the world I'm joined now uh, by a representative of the Flat Earth Society uh, in the interests of balance because um, you know we've kind of overdone this thing and I, so I said at the time look, no, this is just our point of view and if you disagree then then okay you, you, you disagree but but you know obviously we still haven't swayed you um, but you know there is definitely there's a, a kind of tension out there and but genuinely I, I kind of my instinct is to try and bring people together and laughter can bring people together but I learned a lot the most I learned was David Runcie did a very good he, he was my guest one night and he was terrific and he talked about as Paul Krugman said after Trump was elected in America Paul Krugman said I think I truly didn't understand our country he there were all these university towns who voted remain 
but within four or five, or five miles of, of the university towns were these huge pockets of leave. And he said that, you know, their experience was totally different. Mm-hmm. So in the university towns, as we know, 15% of university uh, staff are EU nationals, uh, and we have that's 125,000 EU students. So their lives were international. They were, as Theresa May said dismissively, they were citizens of the world. They were as likely to be sending emails to uh, you know, Rome or Paris or Lisbon uh, as they were to sending e- were likely to send emails to to London. And whereas within five miles of, of them were people whose experience was totally different. Um, somebody else described, described them as the everywheres and the somewheres. The people whose experience was local and whose lives had been affected by globalization and not in a good way. And I don't want to alienate those people. As I say before, I've completely un- I understand, but I just think that the danger is that in taking it all out, we, we needed to kick a cat. But what I said about that was in a way that we, not only have we thrown the baby out with the bath water, but we've thrown out the bath as well. And interestingly enough, the people who plumbed it in. Yeah, because <laughs> I think because thirty nine thousand Europeans, Eastern Europeans, left in the first three months after Brexit. Um, just before we finish, I just want to ask you what in America we've seen this Saturday Night Live has sort of been reborn thanks to Donald Trump and not just it's Ali, been great. I want <coughs> not just Alec Baldwin, but I mean even um, uh, the you know, Sean Spicer impression that sort of stuff. Yeah, we yeah. don't have something like that in the UK. There's nothing on UK TV which is capturing that, whether it's the anger or the, whether it's anger about Europe or anger about the result. There's nothing which is I agree. I mean, tapping into that. Uh, I agree. I mean, we haven't really sort of captured the spirit. I mean, there, you know, there's um, the, the Now Show and, and News Quiz, uh, sort of like they're doing, that's carrying it on on Radio 4. And there are pockets where you, you look for it. Andy Zaltzman, I've mentioned maybe before, Matt Ford does a certain amount of, of politics. But I think we've got out of the habit. There's a lot of reasons. I mean, partly there's the instant response of Twitter on social media now that they can be so fast and people it's almost like years and years ago I wrote a piece about what I call the karaoke culture that uh, instead of you know people who are really good at singing or really good at comedy doing their stuff now it's a feeling that everybody can do it Yeah. and journalists are saying that every journalist that everyone's a satirist now so there's a sense that everyone's a satirist there's also uh, the the commissioners and I think um, I'm told at BBC they say well we haven't got the budget to do the show that you want to do Um, ITV, uh, they said you wouldn't give us the ratings that we need, which is interesting because Spitting Image, they got 12 million. Yeah. Channel 4, they, they have, they're using uh, Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkins to do some more scripted sort of sitcom yeah. types, type satire. But I think there's actually a failure of nerve as well. I think the BBC... Well, it, I mean, given the attacks that particularly BBC get just for their news coverage, the idea Absolutely. of them putting up a show which either attacked Remainers or Leavers seems... Well, it, it occurs to me that it's like the will of the people. It's like the will of the people that... It, is, has become an absolute that you don't, you must not, you know, uh, betray the will of the people. Similarly, people say you are the BBC. You know, you are. I pay your license, and the BBC's ability to, to be challenging and to be confrontational. I mean, you know, they're most criticised by this for this by newspapers who themselves are absolutely biased in one side. I mean, you know, if, when the Mail goes after the BBC all the time for bias, 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 you think well you know and I, I, I'm aware they're different organisations but I, I 
think the BBC does need to rediscover some of its confidence. It lost a lot of it on the Jonathan Ross and Russell Brand yeah. episode. The, the, the low point, if you like, was when they wouldn't run a an emergency appeal on behalf of Palestinians um, for DEC, I think it was, because um, at that time it was Mark Thompson, and they wouldn't run a humanitarian advert for fear of, I think it was uh, the Israeli lobby. Yeah. And you thought, well, you know, this is, this it's, it's, it's a refugee crisis, but you're, you're worried about a political lobby. And I think the BBC needs to rediscover that confidence. But I, I, I think the audience is out there. But when you see something like the nightly show, I mean, you know, I don't know if that was an attempt to do the, the sort of, I don't think it, it was nowhere, it's a million miles from a John Stewart show because, you know, you see, it doesn't look there in America, you get the sense that there's a politically engaged, vibrant, energetic audience I think politics almost has been marginalised in that sense but it's expensive to do as well because you need to have good researchers particularly yeah. if you're going to do it every night it needs to have proper research proper backup and really commit to it and I was really surprised when ITV shifted the news that's a big thing yeah and doing the nightly show you think oh here we go this is this long awaited answer to Letterman or answer to, to, to John and, and you know it was a sort of rather strange hybrid. The danger is that if you have a generation where we're not used to that kind of thing the commissioners it, start, it becomes a self-fulfilling thing they think well you know uh, the, the commissioners don't think the public would take it like they wouldn't know who Christine Lagarde and Absolutely, Angela yeah. Merkel are and so it doesn't it doesn't get on um, and it's a real shame it's a real real shame because I, I far from satire undermining politics as I hope I said earlier on it actually engages people. It reinforces. People watch Spitting Image, and after that, they knew who people were. When we did Alistair Campbell and the Tony Blair sketches, when they start, when we started out, people said, "Oh, they won't know who Alistair Campbell is." And we said, "Well, they will do by well, the time you, you finish." And particularly at a time when people are so much more politically engaged because of yeah. the referendum, and people who hadn't ever voted or hadn't voted for years and years and years went out and voted, it feels like there's a oh, it's an intensely political time. I remember Rory Stewart um, uh, the, during a debate the night before the Scottish referendum. He was. We were in in, uh, in Edinburgh in a Channel 4 debate, and he said, well, uh, look, I understand that politics uh, has failed. He said, and he was drowned out by angry Scots who were saying, effectively, no, your politics has failed, but our politics is up and running, and our politics, it's about, it's obviously, social media, it's about campaigns, it's about this whole movement. And so, as I said earlier on, I think politics is really, it's vibrant and it's out there, and we should be able to make a programme where people could talk about it and people can be funny about it and be engaged about it but this this you know still this cloud of bias hangs over this this cloud which obviously from my my perspective i think of it as primarily angry leavers but leavers would equally say um you know angry remainers but we are in danger of being so divided at the moment i mean i'd like to think that you know we could bring it together with comedy uh, but it's it's kind of a tough gig at the moment because i think people, there is a lot of anger um out there and uh, i don't know can we bring it together? I don't know, Matt. I don't know. Really, I don't. But I, <laughs> all I know, all I know, uh, could be written on a, on a stamp. <laughs> well, on that note, Roy Bramner, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Can I have a record now? To make sure you don't miss the next episodes of the Red Box series on politics and comedy, subscribe via iTunes or on your Android device. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. 
Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.